Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. And binge-worthy, the idea is, is that though, yes, there may be some things on Netflix or some of the other millions of channels that you have to subscribe to now that are binge-worthy, especially during the time of COVID. But we want to highlight the fact that Scripture is too. Most of our time with Scripture is usually spent looking for some kind of answer to a problem. You know, Lord, what does it say about finances? Lord, what does it say about friendships, relationships? But really, there are so many great stories. And in those stories are such great wisdom. And so we, 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 we went through... Uh, warriors and judges and all of these great people, and now we're down to kings and queens. And today we're going to talk about a king by the name of Solomon. I don't know if you've heard of him, but it's awesome. Now, how many of you are completely tired and say that there's nothing binge-worthy of watching coming out of this end of COVID? Amen to that, any of them? To me, it's like, okay, We've completely run out of ideas. But let me tell you about this person, Solomon. Solomon is completely different. Solomon was somebody who had great wisdom, great authority, and great power. And he was somebody that was looked upon throughout the world and world history as the person who actually made it big time, right? And he is featured in 1 Kings. In fact, if you want to binge some of this, 1 Kings... Uh, chapter 1 through 11 describes his life. There's also the book of Proverbs. Have you heard that? Are you guys against verbs? Are you proverbs? I'm proverbs. Then there's Song of Solomon. It's hard to hum, but it's actually it's pretty good. But it talks about relationships. And then there's Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes, if you're halfway depressed today, I wouldn't suggest reading it afterwards. But it is, I'm telling you, really binge-worthy. In fact, this is kind of the summation of his life in, in, the, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so let's start out this service with verse 1 of chapter 1. These words are the quester. <clears throat> David's son, the king of Jerusalem, smoke, nothing but smoke. That's what the quester says. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. That's, excuse me, what's there to show for a lifetime of work, a lifetime of working your fingers to the bone. One generation goes its way, the next Next one arrives, but nothing changes. It's business as usual for this old planet. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, then does it again and again in the same old round. The wind blows south, the wind blows north. <clears throat> round and around it blows, blowing this way, then that, the whirling erratic wind. All the rivers flow into the sea, but the sea never fills up. The rivers keep flowing to the same old place, then start all over and do it again. Everything, okay, get this, is boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning. Boring to the eye, boring to the ear. It, I mean, this is, it's almost like he was watching TV. Okay, 
or professional sports. Anyway, okay. What was will be again. What happened will happen again. There's no new thing on the earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. Does anyone call out, hey, this is new? Don't get excited. It's the same old thing. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday and the things that will happen tomorrow. Nobody will remember them either. Don't count on being remembered. So, if that didn't cheer you up, we have more of his writings today. But sometimes life feels that way, doesn't it? You think of, yeah, I'm working hard, but then all of a sudden I've invested, I've put my stuff in the stock market, and then all of a sudden inflation's on the way. We may have nothing in a day, right? All of that work. And, and this is from someone who had seen it all. He was a kid, okay, raised in his father's palace, King David. David was the second king in Israel. First king was Saul, not so great, but David came along. God had ordained him. David was a man of, of very simple passions. He was somebody that had been raised in an agrarian type environment where he was a sheep herder. He was a herdsman. He was a shepherd, and he became the great warrior king of the Jewish people of Israel. All right. Now, he is getting ready to die. He's basically not active that much anymore. He's pretty sick. And one of his sons decides to say, you know what? Hey, I'm going to go ahead and announce myself to be king. People everywhere, let me just say this. Don't ever give yourself a promotion especially if you haven't consulted the boss and nobody in human resources knows about it, okay? Don't throw the party. <laughs> well, his son started throwing the party and uh, like his advisors came to Dave and were like, hey, Dave, uh, your kid over here. And he goes, well, I don't want that kid to be king. Well, he does. He doesn't know that. So he says, no, I want Bathsheba, my wife, one of many, um, I want her son, Solomon, to be king. He, he's going to be the right person. And so they got it right. Solomon was made king. But Solomon was very young, okay? And this was a very critical time, you know? David, King David, was a fantastic king. He was a great warrior, but he wasn't that great of a dad. In fact, you know, I would like to hear what James Dobson would actually have to say about the way raising up boys, King David's way, <laughs> Um, so, he comes to the throne. He's raised in a palace, and he understands, even at a young age, that he doesn't have it all together. In fact, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 3. He says that he went up to Gibeon. Okay, here's what's going on. When we think of Israel, when we think of this period of time, we think of the temple, Right? The people went up to the temple. They worshiped at the temple. But the temple was not yet built. 
there was the tent of meeting or known as the tabernacle, which was used in the wilderness, which they would travel around and they would, the Lord would come, the priests would have sacrifices and they would meet with the Lord in the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. Well, David told the Lord, he said, man, God, I want to build you a temple. But God's like, look, Dave, you're a great guy. I know that you love me, but you're a man of war. Your hands are covered in blood. The temple is a, is a house of peace. You can't build it. So David decided to get all the materials together for whoever one of his sons took over, and then they could build it. The temple hadn't been built yet, and it says this interesting thing. It says that the people were going up and making sacrifices and worshiping on the high places. When you hear someone talk about worshiping in the high places, that means they were going up and get, doing their pagan stuff, okay? <clears throat> they were sacrificing to different gods for different reasons, but it always had to in fulfillment of some kind of selfish need. But it was totally out of place within Israel because Israel had been called to worship Yahweh, the one true creator God who had called them holy, set aside them for himself. But they were out doing the thing. It would be like if, if you walked into service one day and out in the hallway somebody had set up like, you know, by the, you know those Buddhas? Not that I'm against Buddhists, but you know, like you see it in the church and someone's burning incense to it. Someone would go, hey, buddy, what's going on over here? It's kind of out of place. Doesn't it need to be over at, at, in a Buddhist temple? Yeah, it, it, but I thought I would do it here. That was the, uh, this is the idea. People were just going about it in the land that God had set aside for them, just worshiping whatever. Okay, now, Solomon goes up to Gibeah, and the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want from me, and I'll give it to you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. Now, let's stop for a second here. When it talks about someone being faithful and upright in heart, okay, he was righteous, he's not saying that this person is perfect. By the way, when we talk about church isn't for perfect people, everybody knows that nobody's perfect. We get that. But David was a great example of someone who had an upright heart toward God, yet he was somebody who was not perfect in any way. So when you hear the term righteous, it means the relationship between he and God was good. It, when it says that he was faithful to God, it means that he would never in any way worship another God, any way, no way. You know, he may not be a, that great of a father. He's probably not that great of a husband. And there's some would say would question some of his leadership, but between him and God, he was known as a man after God's own heart. So the, the foundation that Solomon saw in his dad was, <clears throat> was someone who was totally loyal to God. And let me just say this to everyone here. God knows your weaknesses. God knows your propensities toward messing up and blowing it. In fact, I can feel it right now. A couple of you are getting ready to blow it. It may be in this service. I don't even know. But what's important is that he recognizes your love and your loyalty to him as well. And creatures who have the great capacity to sin also have a great capacity for loyalty unto God. And God views that and God sees that. And that's what Solomon saw. And it's what you should see in yourself as well. All right. Now get this. He said, You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Verse 7. Now, 
my, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in a place of my father David, but I am only a little child. I'm a young'un and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people, and you have chosen a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Now, this is good. This is good. He was young. He was somebody who realized, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea (laughs) how to do this job. Instead of being arrogant, instead of being selfish, he showed a certain amount of wisdom before God because he came to God in humility. God said, what would you like me to give you? Uh, someone who had been totally selfish would have said, Lord, I just want $100 million, not $101 million. I just want $100 million. You know, have you ever been in the, the convenience stores? I, what are some of the names? It used to be 7-Eleven. There's no more. It's like Maverick, Circle K. I don't, does anybody know what Circle K means anyway? circle calorie killer. I don't know what it is, but that you go in there and inevitably you want to buy a stick of gum or something and someone is like buying lottery tickets, okay? And it kind of takes a while. But then if you thought for just a moment, you'd say, you know what, God, maybe I should play just a little bit because, you know, I've been thinking we need a whole new wing at the church and just imagine how I could witness for you. If I was only, I mean, God, what if I won a Grammy or an Oscar, even better? And I would get up there in front of everybody as they were clapping for me, and I would say, it's all for the Lord. He didn't make some kind of weird statement like that. He didn't ask for that. He realized that the people needed a righteous and good judge. That's what the people needed. That's what his job required. And so he asked God for wisdom. If you are in a place of authority, if you direct people or you have people under you, maybe you're a boss, maybe you're a mom, maybe you're a dad, uh, maybe you employ a few people, maybe you employ a lot of people, Maybe you work for the government. I don't know what it is, but if, if you are overseeing people, my friends, what you need more than anything else is wisdom from God. And this young kid understood that, and God was about to bless his socks off because of it. God will give you the wisdom that you need for the job that you have right now, especially if you're doing it so that you would be a blessing to other people. All right? Second of all, if you're a young person here, if you're, you know, some of, you know, there are are quite a few young people here. I mean, I'm talking about people under 50. Uh, So, (laughs) but there, no, I'm talking about young people. You know, Paul told Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. Because a young person, even like Solomon, 
who doesn't have a lot of experience, it can be imbued with power by God that is visible for everyone else to see. And such was the case in his life. And God told him, he said, listen, I'm pleased that you asked for this, but since you asked for the right thing so that you could really govern the people, well, guess what? I'm going to give you wealth, and I'm going to give you public accolades and all the rest too, but you'll have the wisdom to deal with it, okay? So, same chapter, right at the beginning of his ministration, uh, there is a decision that needs a, uh, there, there's a problem that needs a decision, and that's what kings would do. So there were a couple of prostitutes over in chapter 3, or chapter 5, chapter 3. And they were uh, at sleep at night, and one of the ladies, one of the moms, rolled over on her kid and crushed it and killed it. Well, in the middle of the night, she disposes of the baby, grabs the other gal's baby, and when the other gal wakes up, says, hey, who's taking my kid? And like, later, I don't know who took your kid. That's my kid! No, it's not. And so they went back and forth, and eventually it was brought to Solomon. And one saying, that's my child. The other one says, this is my child. And he said, bring the child to me. Bring me a sword. And he, he said, take this child, cut it in half, give one to her, and give one to the other one. You've heard this story before. And so the lady who, whose child it was says, no, 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 don't harm the baby. Give it to her. And the other gal's like, yeah, cut it in half. I don't care. Kind of tell on yourself when you're doing stuff like that. People can notice. Um, so it was known throughout the community that, whoa, he is young, but he is wise. It is recognized that the hand of God is upon him and he is wise. And for those of you who are young and you are, you're asking God for wisdom and you're asking God for understanding because you know, you know that that's more, value, more valuable than fame or riches or anything else. Doing so, God will put a blessing on your life and when he puts a blessing on your life, my friends, you will carry that wisdom that may be far exceeding next level, as my friend Chris says, above your peers, above even those who are older than you. Age is no sign of, of maturity. I mean, there should, you should look at a certain a person and realize, hopefully there's some maturity there, but it may not be there. But the hand of God and his wisdom on you, okay, will clarify that issue for all who are watching and all who are observing, okay? So if God's qualified you, go for it. Keep going. So here's what happens. Solomon gets some strength. Solomon gets some wisdom. He prepares his government, and he starts building and building and building. In fact, we'll read all the way through chapter 5, all the way to chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 1 through 11, that's where you're going to read about his life. But he builds a temple. He builds other buildings. He equips the, uh, the temple. In fact, this guy, when it, it talks about the gold that this guy gets, I mean, it is absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. The amount of gold he got. The timbers from Lebanon, the cedars, all of this. They, in fact, archaeology lets us know that during this particular period, they would use some of this uh, <clears throat> Phoenician-style building. Uh, we've seen that archaeologically. In fact, this last Saturday, yesterday, I was at an uh, uh, archaeological conference here in town, 
and I had the honor of listening to Dr. <coughs> William Deaver, who's now 88, but man, he just sounds like a lion. He's one of the most brilliant, best-known uh, archaeologists, specifically within this area and the knowledge of, of this time in biblical history. But he, he, was say, he gave a lecture on the golden age of Solomon and with a little question mark at the end because <clears throat> there is certain evidence for particular in, in, in certain strata throughout Israel. You know, the problem there is it's very compact land and you have layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And so you're looking for Bronze Age, early middle Bronze Age and late Bronze Age and so forth. And, and in doing so, you're able to, to, to find it because there's certain, um, certain strata will let you know that you've hit the right place. Also, there's carbon dating. But the problem with Solomon is, is that his great and vast kingdom is hard to find archaeologically. In fact, I was in the, in the um, Israeli Museum in Jerusalem, and there's a little bitty pomegranate made out of ivory, a little broken on the end, and, it, and, it, and it, they said this is possibly the only remnant left from the temple of Solomon. And it has this inscription on there, and so it was believed that it was, it was from the time of Solomon. Well, Recently, we found out that, it, yes, it does for sure date to that particular period, but the inscriptions on the outside were forgery. And if you know anything about uh, antiquities from that particular area, forgeries can be a big problem. So what Devers and his team had done, as well as with uh, a lot of other archaeologists, they, they came to a conclusion that the, the cities that were in that particular strata, that era, had all built the same uh, fortified gates within them. Phoenician-style building materials, and they were able to realize that there was a centralized government with outposts and cities that had been run by a similar governmental agency, which would point to Solomon. You say, why are you saying this, Dave? There should be archaeological evidence for this guy everywhere. Not so. Because you have to understand that Saul was king over Israel. David was king over Israel. Solomon was king over Israel. These were all united kingdoms. But when he died, his son Rehoboam took the south. Another fellow took Jeroboam, took the north. And the kingdom stayed divided. And with that divided king kingdom came the Assyrian Empire who came in and looted and took all of their gold and took their empire. And then the Neo-Babylonian Empire by the, uh, the father Nebuchadnezzar or, you've, I mean, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and then his son Nebuchadnezzar, the ba Neo-Babylonian Empire. And by the time you get to the New Testament, all of that, save just the foundation as we read in the book of Ezra, was left. And so, though his empire may have been vast for that particular period of time, it had been well looted through the process, which is poetic, which is poetic when we consider, okay, when we consider all that he had done. He had wives, he had gold, he had buildings, he had an empire, he had a name. Oh, Solomon, the smartest guy ever. He had hundreds of wives. I don't know about you, but I saw that show, Sisters Wives. You ever seen that? 
I'm not trashing on the Mormon church or anything. I'm just saying, you know, is this guy's like, can I get cool hair? And yeah, I've got three or four or five wives, you know. Yeah, but you didn't have hundreds. The reason we bring this up is that in the book of Ecclesiastes, he starts out with saying, everything's meaningless. He goes on to say that wisdom is meaningless or worthless or empty. The idiom would imply wisdom and frivolity and folly is meaningless and empty. Toil and hard work, he says, is meaningless and empty. Advancement and building up of your career and status, he says, is meaningless and empty. And God forbid that he would say this, but he says, riches themselves are empty. It was as if God, through the writing in the, of, of Solomon in the Proverbs and in Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes and in his life in First Kings, that <clears throat> here's an example of someone who had it all and comes out at the other end and said it's meaningless and worthless. And as far as his kingdom is concerned, it's hard to find any of it. There's no indication that it would be false, by the way, or that it didn't exist. That's not the point. The point is, is that all of the fame, all of the pleasure this guy had, nothing would be refused from him. He experienced it all. And in the end, he says, don't be too impressed. Don't be too impressed, my friends. Because there's a singular line or rhythm that goes through the Bible. And that it says that Yahweh himself is the creator God. In fact, we have in the Westminster Catechism, the, 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 the question starts out with, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to know God and to enjoy him forever. You see, without enjoying God, all of these pleasures, all of these accomplishments, all of the accolades can ray be stale within the human spirit because it was never meant to satisfy. Bill Gates, one of the greatest empires in the world. Steve Jobs. Steve Bezos. Berkey Boy. I wonder what they would say as they read Solomon. Solomon gives us some parting words and they're powerful and I want them to seek in because I'm telling you if we're going to listen to somebody who had it all this is the guy he says honor and enjoy your creator while you're still young before the years take toll and your vigor wanes Sometimes, at least in this country, we have it just the opposite, don't we? 
I'm going to go to, go to college. Woo-hoo! Sow some wild oats. And I'm going to do some throwing up, too, publicly. Right? That's partying, man. I don't have time to settle down, do church stuff. I'll do that when I get married, get a little bit too old. Kind of get scared of dying. But until then, I'm going to live it up. And he says, listen, that's not the way to go. I don't need to get married. I'm going to go around, sleep around, do what I want to do. It's no big deal. You're young. And he says, you're ruining your youth. You're ruining your younger years when your body works, when things are active, when you can fully engage God. And I'm going to just tell you, those of you who are young and your body doesn't sound like an old door closing every time you take a step, Enjoy God now while you're young. Take it from a guy who had it all. Wisdom, pleasure, folly, toil, advancement, riches, he says they're all worthless. Enjoy God while you're young. Because you were meant to You were made for, I was made for, to know God and to enjoy Him in this body. More than anything else. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having things. But there is something wrong with things having you. Can I get an amen? All right? There's a difference. I know believers who work hard and they prosper a lot, but in their mind, that stuff doesn't belong to them. It belongs to the Lord as to be used for his glory. They have in their hands things that belong to God, but those things don't have them. There's a difference. You can be poor and you can want things and still be in bondage to them and not have anything. And he says, don't waste your time on that. Don't waste your time. It's a lie. You need to be famous. Tick tock, here I come. Selfie. <laughs> I'm a, what, what do you do? I'm a, social, I'm a social media influencer. Oh, really? You're burning up the world, kid. You're doing it. You're really doing it. No, you're not. He says, are you enjoying God? All of that stuff out there is lying to you. This is what a wise guy is telling you. They're lying to you. Before your vision dims, before the world blurs, okay, before your lens get as thick as the ones I have on my glasses, when you go from single vision to bifocal to trifocal, Steve Stucker. Uh, <laughs> and the winter years keep you close to the fire. You notice that? You get a little bit older, you get a little closer to the fire. In old age, your body no longer serves you so well. Muscles slack and grip weakens, joints stiffen. The shades are pulled down on the world. You can't come and go at will. Things grind to a halt. The hum of the household fades away. You are wakened now by birdsong. 
Hikes to the mountain are a thing of the past. Elena Gallegos is no more. Even a stroll down the road has its terrors. You could fall and break what? A hip. Your hair turns apple, apple blossom white if you have hair. I don't know what color my hair would have turned. We can only imagine adorning a fragile and impotent matchstick body. Once again, he's so encouraging. Yes, you're well on your way to your eternal rest while your friends make plans for your funeral. Again, thanks for the bummer, Solomon. (laughs) But isn't it true? We do funerals all the time, you know? Statistics on death are very, very clear. One out of every one person dies. It's just usually at the wrong time. Here's the point. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life on some busted dreams that are never going to make you fully happy. Don't waste your life on that. Get to the business of being in your body with Christ. Whatever time, whatever effort you have left, let that be your joy. Pray more. Expect more with God, in God, for God, in all things, in Him, and you're never too young to start. Don't live a life of regret. How many of you, and don't raise your hand, I'm not here to incriminate anyone. This is on the internet, by the way. Um, But how many of you have regrets of stupid things that you did in your youth? Quite a few, right? And many of you would say, I wish I'd been following the Lord back then. Young people, hear it now. And if you're older today, hear it now. The rule applies the same. The principle is still there. Seek God while it is day. For night comes when no one can work. Work while it is day. Seek God while the light is visible upon you. And enjoy. 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 Don't waste your life. Okay. Today we're going to have baptism. We had a fun time for a service. A lot of, a lot of different families. In fact, we gave people opportunity, folks who had showed up with no extra clothes to get baptized. And we, we saw people come even after the baptismal service. And so let me just explain this for a second. Baptism is, is, is a public expression of an inward experience. This water in here is not special and holy. Although, if you think it is, I'll sell you a gallon for 150 bucks. 
But the truth is, it's the same water that runs through all the pipes in Albuquerque. And it's not like nobody stands up in the morning and flushes their face with the water and said, oh, hallelujah, I've been baptized. There's nothing holy about that, although it's a good practice. No, baptism leans back to a time when there were ceremonial washings because people understood that they'd been unclean and unable to approach God, and so they were separated, so they would go through cleansings or washings. And when Paul comes along and talks about baptism here, I mean, there's, baptism, there's a lot of imagery with that, but we don't have time to go into it. But suffice it to say, he said, it's like your body going into the grave and coming out washed and cleaned up new in life. New in life. This water cannot, will not save you. But calling upon the name of Jesus and asking him to forgive you will save you. He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will in no wise be cast out. That person who calls on God and says, God, I need you, man. I have been living for myself. I have so many regrets. I have so much garbage, and I need to be living for you. I want to enjoy you, God. I know that I'm created for you. I want that. Man, he is just a prayer away. And I'm not talking some big churchy prayer, just God heal me, God forgive me. This is a public declaration that tells everybody, he said, you know, me and my past and a lot of the the junk that I did and lived with, did and everything, well, that's going to be washed away, that's going to be left in there. And when I come out, I'm going to be identified with Jesus forever. But does that mean I'm going to be perfect? No. You're going to be like King David, who wasn't perfect. But as far as things were between he and God, it was right. Because if you have faith in Jesus, Jesus said, I died for your sins and I will forgive your sins. And and if you trust in me, I am going to make it right and you can be right with God. Doesn't mean you're going to run around being perfect. No, 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 no. It means that as far as my heart's concerned, I'll worship no other. As far as my loyalty goes, I'll worship no other. As far as who I believe and who I will pray to, I will worship no other. It's me and Jesus and that's it. And that's baptism. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. They've been doing this for thousands of years. So before we, before we bring up folks ready for baptism, I, I want to just let's do some business, okay? Um, just bow your heads, if you will. And I do this just to, for people to feel like they can be open, you know, not like people are staring at them. But if you're here this morning, you said, man, David, I need Jesus like crazy. And I want you to pray for me. And I want, to, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I need it. Just raise up your hand. Don't feel weird about it because it's church. Where else are you going to do this? All right, I see you right in the middle. All right, right over here. I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else, man? Just raise it up. All right, I see you. Anybody else? Come on. It's time to do business with God. Right on. All right, I see you in the back. Anybody else? Okay, then 
Pray this prayer with me. You just repeat after me. You don't have to think through this. Your heart is right before God. Let's pray. Jesus, I come to you right now. I need you. Please forgive me. I've wasted a lot of my life, but I want to give my past to you in every day forward. I ask you to wash me, cleanse me, make me new, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be identified with Jesus all the days of my life. I want to enjoy you, Lord. I want to know you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, don't ever doubt yourself. Don't ever let the devil get in there. Don't let any of your friends or anybody else, your past, do not let it take you away from the truth of just what happened. You just gave your life to Christ, okay? Come on. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.